Culture Wars with Giles Hardy and Dom Knight. You've known for 24 hours that an unregistered wizard set magical beasts loose in New York? Yes. Where is this man? So, you're the guy with the case full of monsters, huh? Use travels first. The guy with the case full of monsters. That is Newt Scamander, the hero of J.K. Rowling's new addition to the Harry Potter universe. She seems to be rolling them out almost weekly these days. Hello, Giles Hardy. Hello, Dom Knight. Yes, look, it is a uh, an exciting time. I wonder if they'd called this the guy with the case full of monsters, if it would have done better or worse uh, at the... Well, it's, it probably would have done better as a textbook for the kids, which is where this came from, of course. Basically a throwaway line. The JK Rowling he went, oh, Harry and you know these other kids, some of whom I probably haven't named yet, have to head to a class where they're learning about animals. Hmm, that'll need a textbook. I'll call it Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. Flash 2, years later, it's a five-film series. Yeah, it was a spin-off comic relief book, and now she's essentially squeezing all the juice out of the lemon. But is it good to extend the Harry Potter universe? I'm sure Warner Brothers are happy that it has been done financially speaking, but is it actually a rewarding experience for fans? That's what we're here to tell you on this instalment of Culture Wars, where we ensure disagreement by means of tossing a coin. One of us will take pro, one of us will take con, Giles. We don't know who is going to take what yet. And at the end of the debate, we'll say what we really thought. And, and look, we could both be nervous because we both loved it. We could both be nervous because we both hated it. And we're going to get in trouble with the fans if Exa- we say well, one, one of us bad is gonna, Yeah, one of us is going to be yelled at regardless. Regardless. So, Why don't you yeah. t- okay. uh, toss and the coin? Here we go and call it in the air. Heads. Beasts have I've heads. I've thrown that everywhere. You'll need to check what it says. It says tails. It says tails, so I get to decide. Oh, look, I'm going to take the challenge. I want to argue against Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. Okay, there you go. Giles Hardy will be the negative. I will be the positive side of this. It's not hard. Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them places itself in a brilliant location because it's more of the Harry Potter universe, but it's separate both in time and space from Hogwarts and the world that we know of England and London. And one of the fabulous things I thought about the initial Harry Potter series is that there was no recognition even of America. We didn't know a thing about it. Australia got name-checked because Hermione's parents moved there. But other than that, it was as though America didn't exist. And what that meant is that she's got the entire continent, really, to play with. She also goes back to 1920s New York. So we're basically in speakeasy prohibition times. All the cars are beautiful old jalopies. Everyone's wearing very nice morning coats and things like that. So it's a visually sumptuous movie. And it shows us, for the first time, the American community of wizards and witches. There are a few differences. They operate out of a very cool skyscraper. They call muggles nomadges. And they're obsessed with keeping themselves secret. And in particular, refusing to allow wizards and witches to have animals. So Newt's commander turns up fresh off the boat with a suitcase full of fantastic beasts, his area of speciality. And within a few moments, gets into a massive jam, Giles. Okay, what fantastic beasts and where to find them is, is, well, it's a film even longer than its title. Uh, (laughs) At two and a half hours, this is uh, an extraordinary meander through what... If you remember, the original Harry Potter book was released uh, under two names because Americans didn't know what philosophers were. Uh, So they they got the Sorcerer's Stone instead of the Philosopher's Stone. And, look, in many regards, this is a film that pays 
you know, that to the nth degree where everything, you know, muggle, too complicated a term, let's call them nomadges. <laughs> it is a an execution of the very, uh, well, of the very essence of what it is, which is, you know, we've had enough Harry Potter, the story has been told, but now money must be earned. And in the, in the era of franchises, this was a franchise that couldn't be left alone. So uh, using one of the dark spells that I'm sure is forbidden, uh, the, <laughs> the, the, the entire series was resurrected. We Resurrectum franchisium. Yeah, absolutely. We, yeah. we, we, uh, we tr- used uh, Hermione's necklace to travel back in time to, as you say, Prohibition, New York. Uh, and Eddie Redmayne, the actor who really, I, I'm still a little bit shocked that man has an Oscar. But, you know, that's, that's between he and me. What was that terrible that, movie? That was when he played Stephen Hawking. Uh, yeah, Stephen Hawking so, with the terrible movie. What was it, Jupiter Rising? Was that oh called? no, he didn't get the Oscar for Jupiter Rising. Yeah, he, at the uh, same uh, time, Jupiter Ascending. A, a performing, uh, yeah. The performance so bad that it really should have oh, yeah, cancelled out Oscars he, for life. He absolutely needed Razzies and Oscars in the same breath. It was uh, yeah. Look, and and this is an actor who yeah, when it came to Jupiter Ascending, he managed to yell at the window an awful lot. So uh, that that look, Eddie Redmayne is here to represent English stunnedness at America and and how. Odd America is, and he is um, willfully, nay, disbelievingly naive regarding both humanity and America. Uh, and he arrives with, as you say, a suitcase full of magical creatures, which in plot device A, escape, uh, and in plot device B, prohibition America, is, it turns out, we essentially this is Trump America in the 20s because they're anti-everything different, and that includes the English, magicians, Suitcases, uh, and so we get two and a half hours of witnessing uh, Eddie Redmayne do that. A charming, lovely figure, and Andrew New almost taking us on a guide through a wonderland, Giles. Uh, visually sumptuous, gorgeous recreation of much of what we love about New York. Central Park is in there. The gorgeous abandoned uh, subway station at City Hall is there. A little bit of period detail. And what brilliant casting, really, to put Redmayne in this. Yes, okay, he's a bit of a, a stammering Englishman from Central Casting. He's a bit of the uh, the magician with less confidence even than Hugh Grant. And um, look, there is a bit of a love plot there. He runs into... A would-be aura who's been dem- demoted. A former aura. A former aura. I can't believe you avoided the, the beautiful poetry of a former aura. A former aura, yes, indeed. Played by Catherine Waterston in Tina, short for Poor Patina. And it's it's almost a, a love interest. It kind of isn't really. But essentially what you have is a, is a chase. A chase around New York City. They're chasing the creatures that have gotten loose. Everyone else is chasing them. There are fairly scary um, bad guys. Colin Farrell's probably the, the chief bad guy as Graves, who is the, the head of the Magical Law Enforcement Department. And so essentially everyone's trying to get these animals back. And, and this is where the, the film really uh, took off for me, Giles, is with the magical creatures, because J.K. Rowling's very, very good at imagining um, a fantastic beasts. And <laughs> yes, there was a platypus. There's a true. magical platypus. There was a magical the platypus. The very first creature is a magical platypus. There's it's also a magical went, stick insect. What, what would happen if you, you created a duck-billed marsupial? And yeah. Australia went... We did. Yeah, we did. It's got uh, some <laughs> of a kidna- it's an echidna platypus. It's an ec- echidna puss, really. Yeah, well, to, to be perfect honest... grab them by the echidna it, it even It even fulfills the English uh, yeah, cliche of Australia because this is a colonial uh, criminal platypus because the thing that's magical about this is it steals things. It so does. presumably it is then going to be exiled to, I don't know, Australia. So everyone's trying to grab it by the platypus throughout the entire <laughs> course of the film. But essentially, uh, when it really takes off, much as in the in the Harry Potter series... With Hogwarts and with Diagon Alley, the thing really came alive. When you actually get into Newt's briefcase, and I think it's not too much of a spoiler because it's revealed in the trailer, I believe. 
Um, essentially, his briefcase is TARDIS-like or perhaps even larger. And you can see almost like a magical Jurassic Park, the creatures gambling and and wandering around in their natural oh, environment. Oh, he has a veritable it's, glass menagerie. It there. is fabulous. So that um, is full J.K. Rowling. And really, the special effects are incredible in this film. Really, really well done. And that makes it very, very enjoyable. It's, it's essentially a, a romp through some very impressive CGI and period New York. And the great thing is it's not that much like Harry Potter, even though it's in the same world. There's not this sense of the great battle of good and evil in a macro sense. It's just a guy with a bunch of creatures that are out of control. It gets a little scarier towards the end. Well, the stakes raise a bit. I don't look. I, don't, I have to discourage that because there is there's ultimately three levels of villainy set up. One is obviously you know authority, which is trying to uh, prohibition all over Newt uh, and uh, the the and obviously they don't like animals because this is America who can't come up with creative names like and cope with creative names like Muggles. So invariably they have to also not like animals or presumably it's no match. There are no matches. Yeah, Giles. It, it, it is. It is to the nth degree, America. It really is that sort of the notion. I mean, there is I, a guy called Kowalski. Hey, Kowalski. Yeah, honestly, this is. I, I really did expect Kevin Costner to go flying past in the Untouchables at some point and go, "Wow, this is even more binary a twenties America than I existed in." But uh, for example, everything is very literal, including my fa- my favorite is the second layer of villains, the New Salem Preservation Society. So uh, it's the crucible because if we, it wasn't enough that we we're in Prohibition era. We needed to be hit over the head with the only other possible reference that could really enforce what was going on here. So Salem. Oh, come on. Americans who hate witches and wizards, you've got to go Salem. In which case, go to New Hampshire. Uh, if you want to go to Salem, go to New Hampshire. If you want to go to Prohibition era, then you can deal with yeah, it. Look, I, I'm just saying, it was. I, I didn't greatly hate uh, NSPS, but uh, I do find the fact that it was, you know, I, there's, there's an obvious witch reference. Let's drag that in. Uh, but, yeah, so you have the New Salem Preservation Society, which is essentially an orphanage borrowed straight from Charles Dickens, uh, where the uh, the orphans are held... New York's are melting pot of being different genres. Looked, yeah, it really is. <laughs> it's Arthur Miller and Dickens living side by side, only in America. Kowalski! But, but uh, yeah. So, Tennessee Williams, too. Exactly. So, yeah. Well, it's and the glass menagerie is here as well. So the whole thing is just, it's exciting. But um, this no, is so, so damn literary. I'm very proud of us right now. I am. Yeah. But uh, yeah, the NSPS, uh, the of course the uh, the maternal figure there is the biggest anti witch, uh, which uh, in in this instance of course means that she is a nasty character herself because essentially anyone yeah you know, that McCarthy esque uh, is going to be painted. Uh, as such, yeah, it's and not then, exactly a three D character. And then, of course, we have the third layer of villainy, which is established in the opening credits, which is Gellert Grindelwald, uh, a, which is who is clearly being set up for the uh, the Voldemort. Well, not 2.0, mm. but 0.0. Gellert is going to be the overarching villain. Yeah, there are five, for the five films and that are planned. He's on the loose in this world. We know this from the montage of newspapers at the start of it, and we also know that Gellert Grindelwald, um, subsequent to the Harry Potter series was Albus Dumbledore's lover, interestingly. So we'll see whether that is borne out over this. Who knows? They may end up doing more than five movies, given how much they love this sort of stuff. But it is what everyone wants. It's a new Harry Potter movie that's not the same, that's not simply the bringing back the same characters as they did with Cursed Child on stage. It is very different. You forgot the other layer of villainy, which really, I have to say, even though I'm pro, was kind of weird. Um, the character of the Shaw father and son, the newspaper proprietor, oh, and yes. the senator, who I think is supposed to be That's bad true. That, guys. That was, that was where the Marvel universe came in, and yeah. we had the uh, the, the senator, J. Jonah Jameson, yeah, yeah, very much so. The the newspaper editor and the with the senator son. 
Well, I, th- I didn't feel they were a layer of villainy so much as the they the, could have been the most obvious eye of uh, you know normal America. Well, that was the thing. They were the ones who were wanting to expose the the witches and wizards and the whole magical side of America. And look, they smash up a lot of New York in the course of this film. It's it's always weird post nine eleven when a movie uh, takes. New York City to task, but there's some beautiful special effects in how things are repaired. Gosh, the effects were good in this film. I mean, you mentioned this isn't just another Harry Potter film. This is one of the curiosities of it. I don't think this film knows if it's a grown-ups or for kids. Uh, There's an element where you've got... Obviously, the Harry Potter films are a much simpler good versus evil. Uh, Kids coming of age is very much the theme that we're dealing with. Uh, We have that entire scenario. So this is a film, I think aimed at grown-up Harry Potter fans we who've still got a bit of a kid in their heart. But it means that I don't think you know, kids much under 10 can see this. Because yeah, I think, I think 10 it's, plus is probably about I think right. it's complex, and I think that at the same time, for something that is not playing in good versus evil, it still has a lot of very binary concepts. So mm. I, it's, it's kind of like it's trying to grow up, but... I think it's trying to burn its candle at both ends, and it's you, you can't get away with that because I think kids are going to want to see this, and I don't think it's as pleasing for them because there's no kid characters. Short of a kleptomaniac platypus, there's not a lot for a kid to hang on to here, uh, and there's also a particularly randy magical rhinoceros which is getting into a, a different level of, of film. Yeah, that was very much Welcome to Grimsby, wasn't it? Yeah, um, it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, thankfully, we're, we didn't get quite as far as that. But, yeah, I do think this film might struggle for people who take their kid, their young kids. Because I've had people even ask if they could take four-year-olds to this yeah, already. Don't. Definitely it's also, don't do it's that. It's very dark too. I mean, um, without wanting to reveal what the ultimate battle is, there's a very, very terrifying, I think, force they have to fight on the streets of New York. So that And that in and of itself isn't bad. I mean, things like the Dark Crystal and you know even Gremlins. I mean, you can actually, for kids, you can have really mm. dark stuff, but you need to have the light and the shade and you need to have characters they can identify with. And Newt is too... Uh, Eddie Redmayne is many things, but he's not obviously a kid. Like a Matthew Broderick, when he was playing these kinds of roles, even though he was an adult you sensed that he was still Ferris Bueller, uh, and that's how we sort of identified him. Eddie Redmayne is much more Stephen Hawking than, yes, you know, than, a, a, than a kid who is you know, just happens to be 25 years old. If I was going to fault um, Eddie Redmayne, not that I will because I'm pro today, but goodness me, he's quite often hard to understand. He quite often swallows his words in an almost bizarre way, but he is the nerd hero. He's essentially Hermione and Harry rolled into one. He's a complete geek. He's socially awkward, and they're quite explicit about that. And I think the potentially blossoming uh, relationship, the romantic relationship, is part of that. And he essentially is only interested in the animals. So there's Hagrid in the the mix as well. I thought he worked really well on the whole. If the movie really does revolve around him, I I thought he did a pretty great job. I really, really liked his his off-sider. Catherine Waterston, I thought, was very, very endearing. Her sister, Queenie, uh, who's kind of like your... Almost like a... She was a flapper. Yeah, she was like a Velma Kelly kind of character. She, uh, Alison Siddall, yeah, it was very one-dimensional. Okay, well, as you're being negative on this one, I'm going to say Alison Siddall is one of my favourite things about this film. I think she is absolutely... Oh, we flipped it around. So, right. just, uh, you know, because we can't agree on anything that's part of the you know, DNA of this show. Uh, I, I, I genuinely have to say she uh, was a revelation to me in that role. I thought she was given... In a film that is very, at best, two-dimensional and, and you know, doesn't give a lot of depth to anything, uh, she was given less depth than anyone else and I thought made more of it than nearly any other actor. She certainly was given much less um, depth. On, All the, right. on a complete twist, I have to point out 
to go back to you know my uh, my coin assigned role. Yeah, the music is pretty heavy handed. I mean, I loved the moment on the first minute. I loved the moment that as it begins in the exact way of every other Harry Potter it's film, true. we get the same. The uh, Danny Elfman. Yeah, we get the, the the riff. We go through the clouds. We go through the title in the exact same way we have for eight films previously, and that's lovely. But. Danny Elfman got a little uh, referential, and at one point he basically just used the Edward Scissorhands soundtrack. <laughs> uh, there is a young child choir who are going, ooh, 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 and that's the is, exact is that chord progression that, yeah, yeah. of Edward Scissorhands. And I thought, uh, look, we're not playing in that dissimilar a genre that uh, we can get away with that. So I, I found I was actually pulled out of the film by the Edward Scissorhands moment because I, it was because it's such an iconic rift and I apologise that my voice doesn't go to the pitch that I just assassinated I have to and confess. no one will ever want to uh, listen to that soundtrack again after I did that to it. Look, I, I have to say I didn't really notice that bit. So, Giles, I, I guess we should get down to the, the to the nub of this. Expectations are incredibly high. The 8-movie franchise was one of the biggest, if not the biggest of all time. It was an absolute box office powerhouse. Um, it's very hard to meet that level. I thought it didn't quite meet the level... But it was never going to. I thought it was an excellent take. I thought that it wasn't perfect, but it was very, very enjoyable. And I just walked out of there going, I can't believe, given that apparently Cursed Child is very good too, J.K. Rowling's managed to do it yet again. Come back to the franchise, breathe new life into it in a completely different setting, time and place, and hit it out of the park, as they say in baseball. Yeah, dropping the coin, uh, I must say that I walked into this genuinely concerned this was going to be a vast disappointment. I almost couldn't see how it could live up to expectations, and I was blown away. I had such a good time in this. It was actually two and a half hours of, of, of sheer joy. Uh, I think J.K. Rowling's done something really intelligent with Eddie Redmayne, and it's actually I've really enjoyed Eddie Redmayne in the character, but I, I found that uh, using his naivety, which you know, is pretty... Uh, it's an intense naivety. It was surprising, wasn't it? Because he was so good on the animals, but everything else he was. But just, then, but yeah, and that's the thing. He travelled sort of, all over the world and had learned nothing. But a classic. But it is a trope of that type of character. Yeah, true. He just doesn't understand humans. It's not just not understanding Americans. But because of that, what was constantly being done is he was having the Americanisms for magic explained to him. So as we said, the no magic is, is American for Muggle, and that's a really clever thing for J.K. Rowling to do because she is an English writer. She uses an English main character, mm. and so instead of going for what is a really difficult task of trying to explain magic again when a whole bunch of people have already seen eight of these films. She instead doesn't explain what a muggle is. She says it's no match. And someone coming to this clean who'd never seen another Harry Potter won't struggle. That's a very good point. You, you don't need to know the... You because don't, you know don't need Gellert like, Grindelwald is, and and things like you know uh, Hogwarts is explained in passing, Dumbledore is explained in passing, and these things yeah. are set up for another series. So I thought that was done very cleverly. I do think that the um, the way that as much as it is a very binary film, the fact that we don't just get good versus evil is a, is a refreshing take but, for the Harry Potter universe. Yeah, particularly with the and she does do this in the Harry Potter universe, but particularly with the bureaucracy, mm. which is good and bad, but it also doesn't have that sense of oppression. Uh, so often in Harry Potter, you just get he's the only one who's right and everyone's wrong and no one believes him. And it happens in every book. Harry's alone. Yeah. You know, even his friends have abandoned him. What will happen? Will Harry win the day? Yes, again, every time. It's not like that. It's more no, complicated. Look, this is a very different genre. I think that's, mm. it's the same universe, but a vastly different genre. You know what it is? Uh, 
it's a it's Men in Black. It well, is it is so Men in much Black, like it Men is, in Black. and it is in fact the Untouchables in some regards as well. And mm. but it's also a commentary on America, um, down to the point where this at one point deals with capital punishment. Uh, and I think it's really interesting. A lot of yes, the Americanisms are very powerful. Are, that scene. are put in, and it is that sort of notion that yeah, essentially this is binary, but it has taken a lot of Americanisms too. How would they have reacted to magic? And none of it's implausible. There's quite a bit uh, of the, so, the, the Trump mentality in this film. Yeah, so that's really clever. I do think it's a very intelligent. It's beautiful to look at. The music is a little OTT, uh, but it is you know it keeps you wrapped in the universe. And as you said, the the effects are brilliant. Um, if you've listened to this before you see the film, do stop looking up things about this film. Oh yes, because please you can, don't. You can ruin really it ruin something for yourself, uh, and the internet has been trying to ruin it for people. And I think that's really frustrating. Just go and it see it. Don't even watch the trailer. Um, but yeah, it's uh, look. I just think this is a delight. And as I say, anyone over ten is going to love this. I there will be some kids and parents having some battles over this. Mm. Uh, maybe wait until they can at least watch it at home. But they'll look. They'll love the animals. Uh, they are a big character themselves. Now, Giles, we didn't see this film together. My question, 3D or not 3D? Did you see it in 3D? I did not see it in 3D. Nor did I. Ah. My one objection, and it was a big objection actually, and it may have been just to do with the cinema where I was, it was very dark. I don't mean that the plot was dark. I mean that the actual image, which is often the case with a special effect heavy movie, it was really, really dim. I don't. Maybe they stuffed it up somehow. Was, oh, was I can't say. Yeah, well, as you say, we saw different, both different um, locations and a different uh, cinema. Indeed, I, I didn't have that complaint. So I suspect that is a, uh, a an individual distributor issue, mm. or uh, rather, not distributor, rather, an individual uh, exhibitor. Yeah, I uh, hope problem. Not. But uh, yeah, I, I haven't. I'd be surprised if that's the case. Um, I really do want to also go back and shout out Alison Sudol, who is Queenie. I, I don't know what your problem <laughs> is. She's amazing in this film. I'm uh, going to go back and watch it in 3D and see how it, uh, how it looks. I must admit, I can't wait to see this again. I'm, I'm dragging my wife, uh, who is a film critic muggle uh, slash non-film, uh, who uh, yeah often doesn't come, but she's totally getting dragged to this film. So, yep, two very big thumbs up, five golden stars, um, ten wands out of ten, whatever we're scaling yep. this one to. A I'm... platypus belly full of gold. Yes, this is a magical platypus of a film. And I think uh, Warner Brothers... Platypus belly will be once again very soon filled with J.K. Rowling gold. I don't know how she keeps doing it. And uh, she's done it again. Dom, quick question. Yeah. Where can people talk to us if they'd like to talk to us about these films between now and the next podcast? They can tweet us at Giles Hardy and at Dom Knight, but there's also a Facebook page. There is a Facebook it's page. Facebook.com slash Culture Wars Podcast. And we will absolutely guarantee that if you come and leave a comment there, we will comment back at you and you yeah. can comment back at us and we'll comment back at you and There's you can comment at us and comment back at us. Not an el- elaborate production team. That's right. Um, doing this. But thank you very much for listening this far. You should subscribe. You should review us. You should like us in your yeah. favourite podcast application. Or, or hate us, whatever you th- No, no, you should definitely think. like us. Uh, there's no hate buttons. Be, on, be honest. And and Giles will be back again uh, next week very people soon. People don't need to be honest. They should just keep flipping the coin until they decide they like us. And next time, Giles will be catching up with the founder, which takes on the mysterious and quite controversial founder of McDonald's. Yes, it will be. It'll be finger licking good. It'll be a crock. Oh, wait, I think I've got the wrong franchise.